Unfiltered, the official Sunderland AFC podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of SAFC Unfiltered. I'm up at the Academy of Light. It's a very great overcast day, very blustery as it often is up here at the Academy of Light. We're going to be speaking to Sporting Director Christian Speakman this afternoon about the transfer window. Um, Danny's not with me this afternoon, he's away on family business, but we will be back together on SAFC Live at the weekend. Go to sfc.com for full streaming details on that one. Yeah, we'll get into all the new signings, find out a bit about them and talk about the players which have also exited the club this last week or so. Alright then, let's go inside the Academy of Light. Welcome once again to SAFC Unfiltered Sporting Director Christian Speakman. Christian, how are you first of all? A little fatigued. I was going to ask, um, have you caught up on your sleep yet? Because um, in previous chats around this time, um, you've been well known to burn the midnight oil. Yeah, it's, um, look, it's been a really intense period. But I think uh, the adrenaline sort of still flows through you for a few days post the window. And you get into a, uh, a mode of working, which is probably a little bit unhealthy. But like I said, it's for a specific period of time. And obviously, like I said, we're trying to do our best. So uh, it's what's required. Yeah, and I guess every time now, I mean, how many periods have you had now? Is this your fourth or fifth transfer window? But every time we go into these, you always say you're planning for them months in advance. But it still goes to the wire, doesn't it, every time? Yeah, I think um, naturally... You know, different parties will use the, the fact there is a window and a timeline as part of a negotiating tactic. And obviously, you do see more uh, more activity towards the back end of the window for various reasons. And um, look, we've tried to stay as far away from that as possible, if I'm honest with you. And we tried this window, but, you know, uh, the point of having a hopefully a really well-structured plan and understanding what you're trying to do is that you can make quick, fast, appropriate decisions. Um, but like I said, it doesn't mean that everything always goes your way. Yeah, <laughs> um, a lot of things have to fall into place, I guess, and it still depends upon other clubs as well. Domino yeah. effect. Yeah, cer- certainly more so in the January window, I think, because what you don't have is you don't have a, a cohort of out-of-contract players um, that, are in, that are floating around in the marketplace, which obviously will have a knock-on effect. And naturally, it's a trading process, so you need people to trade with. You need to be able to take players from clubs. You, know, you might have to free spaces up, which has not necessarily been a big issue for us personally. But certainly we're trying to acquire players from other clubs and, you know, where our team is at the minute, you're trying to acquire a really high quality, you know, personnel because of how well the team's done and how good this group of players are. OK, then it's a couple of days since the, the window shut then, uh, Christian. How do you reflect upon the January transfer window in its totality, if you like? Yeah, I think look, it's really, really difficult at this point in time because you've still got a lot of emotion aligned to it. But, um, you know, you try to be... Uh, firm around the facts and overall really really pleased with the progression certainly really chuffed with the the players that we've acquired and the decisions we've taken in terms of players in the group and players that we've that we've put on loan for various different reasons but ultimately you know we are left with a frustration and a disappointment because we'd have liked to have acquired one more player based off the fact that obviously Ross had that really unfortunate and tragic injury for him um, well, let's, let's get into that because a lot of people will be listening to this, supporters in particular, will think, you know, four players in in total, they all look like good prospects, everyone's excited about them, but because of Ross's injury, I think fans will be a little bit surprised that we didn't bring an additional striker in. Yeah, well, I think look, ultimately that's a, that's a disappointment for us as well, um, and a frustration more than anything. 
Uh, look, it might be easier if I provide a bit of context to it in terms of where that where that sort of story lines come from. We had a we had a really really clear plan going into the into the window and a really healthy set of options. And we always appreciate that the January window is the most difficult of windows in terms of um, being able to acquire players. You know, we had uh, several bids on players that were seven figures. We were trying to make those permanent acquisitions to enhance the long-term strategy. Um, and then we moved to obviously get Joffe, which was probably one of the most competitive sort of acquisitions for a loan player I've ever been involved in. And, and really, really proud of the guys to obviously be able to, to get that one over the line. Um, we're then in a situation where we've got two high-profile centre-forwards. I think it's a really difficult proposition then to try to find a third you know, who's happy to come under those circumstances. And we were looking at some options for you know, a third striker, a younger profile to obviously come in and, and provide some depth. And then at 2.55 on Fulham, you know, on the Saturday, we were really, really chuffed with our work, really, really happy with the squad, the balance. But unfortunately, these things happen in professional sport and Ross gets a really significant injury, you know, moments into the game. And then at half-time, I'm on the phone with Stuart, you know, trying to um, readdress our our target list and, and try to reorganise that to, to, to obviously find a solution in the final three days. Um, I think it's a, a real difficult task at that point. We were still fairly confident in terms of the options that we had and, and some of the conversations that were ongoing over that period of time. But we, we, we found ourselves in a position where none of the available players fit what we needed. A lot of fans listening to this, or Christian, will, will probably be screaming at the, the radios right now, where was Ella Sims and all this? Yeah, well, look, we were constantly monitoring Ellis' situation. I think Everton's position is well documented and people will be able to obviously make their own judgment on, 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 on that. And just unfortunately, Ellis wasn't made available for loan um, all the way through. It would have obviously been fantastic had that occurred in the final day and it would have obviously potentially solved our problem. But I think the most important thing is that myself, Kirill, Tony, the coaching staff and the recruitment team have been you know, adamant from the start, as we have in every window, that we have to acquire the right players to be able to play our game style in and out of possession. And then we also have to have, to have the right characters. Yeah, and you've always had the philosophy as well of not taking just anyone will do, and it, which is probably why the club ended up in a little bit of a mess before your tenure. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to comment on that because, like I said, on the one hand, I'm, I'm keen to obviously discuss the context, but I think that drives the decisions. And I don't know the context that was here before, so I think it'd be remiss of me just to make an, you know, a judgment on what happened. What we're trying to do is, is stick to our strategy, and we've tried to sign high-quality, high-potential players throughout our tenure, and I think our record speaks for itself on that. We've also focused on players' character. I think the evidence on and off the pitch is obviously there's a really positive relationship with the supporters and I think the players play with um, a style and an integrity which I think is embraces the, the community and obviously what the community stands for and that's in line with obviously our values and the group's embraced every challenge it's had in front of it you know, you know on and off the pitch but we've been clear that you know we're not just going to add players for the sake of adding players and you know in some respects it would be easy to put a player in with a strike a number nine shirt on and say that he's a striker but I think there's been a really pragmatic approach by the coaching staff from Tony and the recruitment team to ensure that you know we're not going to make a move which we think is going to provide a negative to the group um, and we're really really fortunate we've got seven or eight real versatile front players and our option has been to 
to obviously, if we need to, to use them in a different way. Just take a step backwards for a second. We've spoke about Ross Stewart's injury already. Um, have you spoken to Ross since his injury? How is he? And um, obviously, be devastated with the scan results and things like that. Yeah, I spoke to Ross shortly after, and then we had a we had a catch up in the office in the following days. He, he's really, really down. You know, I think for a, a player coming through who's done so well here last season and been so robust in his period of time with us to obviously get the opportunity to play at this level for the first time and then suffer two really serious injuries in short space of time, obviously, he's going to knock you. You know, we've got a really, really, you know, I would like to think a well-structured care package around him, you know, both with the injury and the psychological element. And we've got to get him back up and running as quick as possible because he's a really valuable member of our team. Um, but like you said, on a personal level, you can't help but, but feel for the lad. You know, he, he does everything right and he's everything that we'd want from a Sunderland player. Some people may think not signing a striker, any kind of striker, is a gamble. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think, you know, of course, in some ways we agree. You wouldn't want to go into a period of games with one out and out number nine. But I would say that, you know, this... Uh, sort of traditional number nine role is not something that's as prevalent in our team as it might be in other teams in terms of how we play the game. We certainly want to maintain our playing identity, both in and out of possession requires certain qualities and we just didn't feel that we were able to find those qualities that were going to you know, either enhance or retain the level of the team. Um, you know, when you're getting to the final days of the window and obviously with the free agency, the market is very, very small. And I, I know there'll be a number of names that will be banded around in the press, but I think when you look at some of the, the considerations that we would have to undertake on someone being in our squad, um, you've also got things like GB to consider, which takes out 95% of the options a lot of the time. But we're really, really clear that from board level all the way through to the coaching team and the recruitment team about what we felt was important for us. Um, and we've got versatile players that we feel can solve the problem. Um, I certainly don't think it's a case of us being um, or lacking any ambition or any diligence in the market. Um, we it's just not a lack of finance or anything like that either. No, certainly not. I mean, like I said, we've we've had uh, we've had the, um, the the bids in there on players that we feel is appropriate. But you know, ultimately, what we can't do is take this as something that we feel is going to define our outcome of our season. You know, we've got a really really positive group of players who play a real nice brand of football at the minute, and we've got to continue to maintain that. You have made four additions, four new players through the door uh, in the form of Pierre Equar, Isaac Lahadji, Joe Gelhart and Joe Anderson. How have they settled in as a group? Yeah, well, they, they've all settled in really well to the, to the squad, and I think that echoes all the sort of feedback, you know, in terms of the types of players that we've got in the dressing room. Um, they're all different. They're all coming from different points in their career, but there's some similarities there in terms of their age, which which I think is, is a, a positive thing for us. They've settled in really, really well. Obviously, what they've got to do is get involved in the match day group. They've got to get to grips with how we're playing and what we require out of them to play for Sunderland. Um, and we're really, really excited about those acquisitions. The one that the fans will know most will be Joe Geldhart. And you touched upon maybe the bidding war you were involved with to get Joe over the line at Sunderland. Tell us about Joe and tell us about the battle you had to get him. Yeah, well, I think, look, when you're chatting through different players and different options with such a wide variety of people that we do as part of our process, you don't really get those occasions where every single person's going, we have to get this player. And, and, and with Joe, that was certainly the case because we just understood that he was going to be, we feel he's such a good connection with obviously how we want to play. Um, 
naturally players of that talent are going to be well coveted and I was really really proud of the work the guys have done to convince him that this was the right place to come um, interestingly I think that's where our supporter base comes in I think when you've got the opportunity to come and play in front of such a vibrant fan base home and away um, that's a certainly a factor that attracts players um, and like I said it's really really competitive and um, really interesting process but again like I said proud he's decided to come he's a he's a clever player who's a real threat in the final third, both in front of a back four or behind a back four with his sort of pace. So we're really, really confident he can have a positive uh, impact on our season. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to another one of those acquisitions. Uh, we'll start with Pierre Equa, 21 years old, midfielder, four-year deal, uh, has spent time with Clairefontaine, Nantes, Chelsea and West Ham. That's where we got him from. Is that someone you've been keeping an eye on for a while? Yeah, we've been tracking Pierre for, for some time and um, he's never, never felt that he'd be available. Um, and he's just got to that point in his career um, where he's just not managed to populate West Ham's first team. Um, we certainly feel he's got some really good attributes. He's, a, he's got a real positive physical profile. He's a left footer. Um, if you look into some of the, the stats on him, you know his, his ability to play forward from different areas of the pitch is, is something which is probably a little bit more different to what we've got in the group. He's got to get up to speed. You know, he hasn't had um, many senior opportunities. So to come into a championship team, he's going to have to find his feet quickly. Um, and hopefully we can give him a little bit of time to do that. But um, we're certainly really, really hopeful he can have a positive, positive career at Sunderland. What kind of uh, stature does he have on the pitch? Where do you see him playing in his future career? Well, he's a centre midfield player, and I think he'll say himself. You know, he sees himself as a box-to-box midfield player, and that's what we want to have. We need that energy, and we need that ability to get around the pitch in those central areas. Um, you can see from his physical profile, he's a little bit different to some of our other players in that area. You know, he's a six foot one plus physical specimen we think that's only something we can enhance with him through our programs um, and like I said what we do want to do which is we've said at the outset was just provide some flexibility in there for the coach and some different options in terms of how we want to set up a team in a particular game but still playing obviously like I said in that Sunderland identity. Uh, Joe Anderson, a defender, 21 years old, uh, brought in from Everton, although he did spend time at Liverpool as a youth player as well. He was also the captain of their under-23 setup at Everton. I think maybe we know what we're going to try and expect from, from Joe. Is he a big, solid, similar kind of to Dan Ballard, maybe? Yeah, I don't think Joe's as, as, as physical as Dan would be. Um, he's got some development and some maturation to do in his, in his physical profile. He's, he's, he's got a lovely ability to handle the ball and to distribute the ball, and he's a left-sided centre-back, and you don't get too many of them. We just felt it was an opportunity for us to enhance some depth to the group um, and some balance with that, with that left-sided, um, that's the left-sided uh, quality that he's got. Um, and look, he's another one that he's not played at his level. Um, he stayed in Everton, in and around the first team for a long period of time. And what we've got to try to do is get that transition that he comes into senior football. In our opening sessions with him, he's been really, really competent in the practices and the, and the small side of games. And like I said, he'll, he's one of a number of those boys who's just desperate for an opportunity to show what he can do. And a, a leader on the pitch, I'd imagine, as well. Yeah, a really, really good, strong character. And I think that's really, really important for us. Um, you know, this group of players, that's maybe the younger group players, they're the ones that are going to carry us through over the next few years. So we need to make sure that they understand 
um, those what's important off the pitch and they can learn off those senior players and he's someone who's desperate to learn and be a sponge and, and like I said, get involved at this level. Someone I'm quite excited about seeing is Isaac Lahadji. I've got to admit, I didn't know anything about him until he, he was rumoured to be joining the club and then he did. I've since researched, I found out he's actually played quite a lot of senior football, including Champions League football as well. He's only 20 years old and comes highly rated from League On as well. Tell us about Isaac. Well, Isaac's a, a really, really explosive, quick, uh, dynamic player. You know, you'll be able to travel with the ball over distance. He's a, predominantly a right-sider, but a left-footer. So he's very similar to Patrick and um, Ahmad, but he's a little bit more linear in terms of he's more of a straight-line runner um, and certainly something a little bit different, but, it, but still holding some of those similarities. Um, I think he's someone who's going to excite the crowd. I think he's going to someone who's going to be able to change the games, um, change the tempo of the games and provide a real attacking threat, especially with pace, which I think is a real quality, you know, which can which can impact championship fixtures. So we're really, really pleased to get him. Um, like you said, you know, it's it shouldn't be underestimated, I think, the work that goes on behind the scenes to track, monitor, and if you like, pounce when the opportunity comes to acquire these players. Isaac's just found himself a little bit out of favour at Lille, and like I said, we've managed to convince him and his representatives and everyone around him that this is the place to come and get your next step of your career, which I think says, you know, so much positive things about where Sunderland's at at the minute as a football club. Um, and like I said, we're really, really proud that he's chosen to join us and where he could have gone other places. And I'm sure the fans will be, you know, really excited to see him when he gets out on the grass. How soon do you think that would be, a player like Lahadji? Well, he's not had the most robust training games programmes recently just because of where he's found himself. So we've obviously got to get him on board and we've just got to go at his pace, really, where he feels comfortable. Um, you know, I think certainly to start with him coming off the bench and having an impact, getting to understand what we're about. But predominantly, he's you know someone that we're looking for for next season to be someone who can be in and around the team. And like I said, if we can, we'd like to bring those players in earlier to get accustomed to what goes on. You know, adapt to the climate, adapt to the language, adapt to living in England, and then hopefully he's getting the best out of him. So we don't want to put too much pressure on him too early, um, but at the same time, we're super excited to see him play. Yeah, and another French-speaking player as well. We've, we've got a few now of French-speaking players. Does that help the, the players settle in if there's already a French-speaking player here? Yeah, I think, I think it obviously helps if you've got um, players that have got some of the similar cultural backgrounds, definitely. And I think... Um, you know, if you look at some of the most high-profile teams in the country operating in the Premier League, they've got players you know, that are coming from all over the world. It's something that's a little bit new for us, certainly over the last few years. We've got to adapt to that. You know, we've got to make them feel welcome. We've got to get to them to understand our culture and what we're expecting out of them. But we also have to bend and flex to obviously some of their cultural needs as well and the way that they behave. And, you You've know, been learning a bit of a duolingo then on a night time, Christian. Yeah, no, but look, I mean, one of the things that I do with, with the young players when they're here is, you know, my rule with them is I'll text them in French and they have to text me in English. So, <laughs> you know, I, I have to move to them as well, do you know what I mean? And I think you have to, you have to, have to balance that off. Um, you know, and ultimately we need them to be fluent English speakers because predominantly the volume of staff you know that we've got obviously are fluent English, not yeah. all but for some. Um, yeah, well, that's another challenge. They've so, got to understand Macam yeah, yeah. slang as well. Well, I'm only just getting there to be fair after a couple <laughs> of years. But look, they like said we'll do everything we can to make those players feel comfortable and get the most out of them. And I think when you see people like Edward and Abdullah, they're starting to really get their feet in the group and the culture, and they're starting to see some real positives out of them. 
Okay, let's move on to the players we saw leave or uh, certainly go out the club just for the for the time being. We saw Jim Atete leave on loan. He's gone down to Plymouth Argyle and he's already making an impact down there, isn't he, Jay? Yeah, I mean, look, not surprised at that. I think Jay and Leon have probably been in similar brackets in terms of they've had an impact and they've been really, really positive. And the team's done so well that they've just not managed to get the opportunities that we might have anticipated they would have got this season. I think it'd be remiss of us then just to carry on through the season and, and, and for them not to get the opportunity to play games and come back in pre-season in the right spot. So we've made that judgment call. I think we've got two really good opportunities for each of them. I think for Jay to go to Plymouth, top of the league, with the pressure and expectation of getting up, I think is something which is very similar to what we need him at Sunderland to be thinking about. Um, but whilst he's also getting the minutes and, and they're obviously taking on his development programme and delivering that at, at Plymouth. For Leon, very, very similar, you know, trying to get him an opportunity to play at an appropriate level where he's getting the right amount of challenge, but also hopefully he's getting some success. And, and like I said, we'll be able to review and evaluate those two guys over the coming months and they'll both come back in the summer and, you know, they've got to be looking at trying to find a way to get into this team. Yeah, and we also saw the back of, of Bailey Wright, someone who I think forever will be one of those characters associated with dragging Sunderland out of League One. He's joined Rotherham, hasn't he, Bailey? And a real character around the club, even in my brief experiences around the academy, is always someone who comes up and asks how you are, and you can tell he's a, a huge person around the club. He's moved on, but I imagine you want to put on record your thanks to Bailey. Yeah, I mean, look, everything you just said about him there, that's the way he should be viewed by our supporters. You know, I think in terms of, um, you know, his impact on and off the pitch over the period of time I've been here has been nothing more than outstandingly positive. I think they're really, really difficult scenarios because your, your inner selfishness says keep him around the group and you can have so much positive impact, which he would do. And I do appreciate we have a, we have a young group. Um, and like I said, what you're doing then is you're taking out some of that experience. But at the same time, we have to be fair to Bales, and, and, and Bales wants to play more regularly. Um, if we're fully fit, then he, he probably doesn't play as much as what he wants to. And we had this discussion all the way through January around what the best options would be. Um, and there's a good chance he was going to stay, but I think the Rotherham opportunity main, gives him an opportunity to play at the same level, um, keeps him um, relevant, if you like, in terms of the level that we're playing at. And look, we're really, really hopeful he can go there and do well. You know. It's a really, really easy one for us when you know their their coach phones us and wants to have a conversation about what type of person he is. I mean, he probably thought I was over-egging it a little bit, but that 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 is Bales. You know, what I mean, he is he is you know the consummate professional on and off the pitch. We're really, really proud. He's a Sunderland player. He'll come back in the summer, and we'll have to review where he's at. Yeah, he just went to the World Cup as well. It's a proud moment for everyone associated with the football club, like the likes of him. Uh, and Jefferson Bennett as well, represented the country as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, buzzing for Bales because obviously we know him a little better. I mean, obviously, Dewey came in on the provide on almost understanding he was probably going to go. Um, Bailey worked really, really hard behind the scenes. I mean, he put himself in extra training sessions. He put himself forward for under 21s games. He did everything he possibly could to get in that squad. And we were so chuffed when he did because, like you said, it, at that time it wasn't easy. We weren't able to select him. You know, the team was doing well. Um, so we weren't able to do that but we did everything else we possibly could to try to ensure he gets selected so no we're really buzzing for him uh, Someone else who's been around the club for a number of years but maybe been in the background the, the last year or so since returning from some nasty injuries uh, was Jordan Willis although he wasn't a Sunderland player he has been getting up to speed here behind the scenes hasn't he he's now left the club but a, a word on Jordan what he, and what he was doing here well, yeah, I mean, look, Jordan, unfortunately, had a really, really significant injury where he probably just got 
some a positive sequence of performances for us back in League One. Um, and he's just had injury, a couple of setbacks, um, and a really, really difficult period of time. I, I feel that at that point, you've really got to, when they need support, those players, you've got to support them. And obviously, Jordan's contract um, was contracted for us for a period of time. He then wasn't contracted, but we maintained the same care package, if you like, in terms of his rehabilitation, etc. You know, did a few things with him. I think he came on 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 on, on the punditry of you guys on a couple of yeah, occasions. He did, yeah. You know, so I think that has to be our commitment to players, and I think it represents the type of culture that we've got here. Um, we're certainly not going to discard and be disrespectful. Um, we're going to try to be professional at all times, and we're going to try to have that empathy, which I think top-class organisations have with their employees, and the players are no different to any of the other employees that we've got. So, like, we're, look, we're really pleased he's got back up and running, you know, and he's been out. You know, even he was even training with our first team group before he left, and you know, he's got to try to go now and obviously forge his career and try to get back on the back plane if possible. Um, a little look back at the last game Sunderland were involved in that uh, FA Cup tie down at Craven Cottage. You just mentioned you you were there watching, and then you got busy in the second half. Um, but what a performance! Fulham, a team going so well in in the Premier League at the moment, and we were more than a match for them, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Look, I think that just shows the quality of the groups that the groups progressed to. Um, you know, o- overall, I think we're we're ahead of where we anticipated we'd be at this point. Which I think is a positive, and I think that obviously brings the um, the additional scrutiny about where we can get to. We're certainly not trying to put any ceiling on where this team can get to. We're going to keep working really, really hard. Have you noticed that people within football are starting to talk about Sunderland? You listen to the pundits, or you would probably be busy, but you the Sky Sports News, the BBC Final Score, they're starting to talk about Sunderland and their brand of football. Yeah, I don't spend a lot of time listening to too much of that stuff. I try to stay focused and keep the noise away. My wife's always updating me with the positives and negatives and you know, she, she, I think she's certainly sent me more things more recently to say, well, you should see this, this is really good. Um, the game against Fulham was first on match of the day. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, I did actually tune in for that because someone mentioned that earlier in the day said they were going to be on first half, so I'm definitely going to capitalise on that with a cup of tea. Um, look, really proud of the team and I think really proud of everyone who's been involved in progressing the team to where it's got to. Um, and like, you know, to be able to go toe-to-toe in that type of fixture, you know, like I said, and and I think it's a real mark of, like I said, where we're at. But no one here is is going to get complacent around being maybe you know head of anticipating anything like this. We're laser focused on keep progressing, keep developing, um, keep challenging ourselves and everything, keep reviewing, reflecting. Um, I got Chris Rigg has got a lot to answer for. Well, Abdu- <laughs> Abdullah's got a lot to answer for because jumping up and down, I twisted my ankle. So <laughs> I felt a little bit of painful after that, and um, unfortunately. But such a great day. And I mean, obviously, getting Riggy on the pitch, I think just shows where the culture at the football club is at the minute. I think it's a really easy decision for Tony not to put him on. I think it's a really easy decision in the Shrewsbury game when you go 1-0 down not to put him on. But we believe in the young players. We're going to keep providing the opportunity, providing they're doing the work. Um, and like I said, um, I think it was a good day out. I think, what was it, 6,000 fans that were there? That was just incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's, it's, uh, like I said, when, when the place is bouncing either at SOL or at away games, it's an incredible place. And I think that just, like I said to you before, with the Joe scenario, helps you attract people because players want to come and perform in, in front of big crowds. They want to show their talent off. And Tony Mowbray has got a track record as well of giving people a pathway to the, the first team. You mentioned he's not scared of putting Chris Rigg on and he'll continue to do that. With young players, yeah, Tony's really well aligned to what we're trying to do, and and that's obviously part of our recruitment process when we when we invited Tony to take the job. 
Um, you know, he sees it very similar to how we see it. Look, you know, does Tony want three centre forwards to pick from? Of course he does. You know, do we want three centre forwards, four centre forwards at the highest quality? Well, of course you do if you can manage them appropriately. But he also understands where we're at. And like I said, he's been really pragmatic and it's been really, really enjoyable talking to him about giving young players an opportunity or with some of the challenges we've had at the latter part of the window around, you know, well, maybe it's the best decision that we don't just sign any striker. Um, you know, and I think, like I said, that just shows his, his connection with what we're trying to do. And I think that's a real positive. OK, that's probably the best place to leave it on looking ahead to these 17 league games as well. I imagine the ambition is still high. We've got the, the, the squad is what it is now. Obviously, we've got the injuries to deal with as well. But have you got a message to the Sunderland fans as we move into the, the final quarter of the season? Yeah, look, I think the, we've got mind-blowing support. And nobody here wants to let the support down in any shape or form. I'd like to, I'll be, I'm hopeful that people see and trust the work that's going on and there's a consistency to the work that's going on. And that will, I'm sure, provoke you know, discussion and pros and cons. And I'm sure the media outlets have obviously got to bring up a story and a discussion about different things. And that's, that's the world that we live in. Um, but I, I just want everyone to stay connected to the team. I want everyone to support the team. You know, whether we're playing a back three with someone out that shouldn't be playing there or different, or whether we're playing lopsided or whether we're playing whatever it is, I just want the supporters to come and give 100% like the players will. And I think that will get us to our best position. We'll keep reviewing, like I said, we'll keep reflecting and, and our promises will keep improving. And um, that's all really we can do. And the work starts here on the next transfer window. Al already started, unfortunately. We had a meeting this morning on that. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what it takes to get, get us back where we need to get to. Well, I'm back outside the Academy of Light, having spoke to Christian Speakman there. Don't forget to subscribe to SAFC Unfiltered, sponsored by Alpha Security, of course, on all your favourite podcast streaming platforms. We'll be back very soon with another edition. Until the next time, we'll see you soon.